Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to The Keys 107, opening the doors to endless possibilities in the pursuit of love, peace, and happiness with your host, Rafika and Brother James. Welcome. Welcome to another hot, exciting, sexy broadcast on finances. I know you're wondering where I'm coming from with that. We got the most talked about conversation that many people are having today about how to turn credit card debt into wealth, how to turn mortgage debt into, is that is that like a, a normal saying, mortgage debt? Well, we have our financial expert, uh, Haroon Niket, on the line today. He's here. He's ready. Brother James, uh, I know you're there because I hear your headset. Yes, I am absolutely here and very happy <laughs> to be here today. Uh, Rafika, we do have an additional special guest to accompany our uh, financial guru, Haroon uh, Niket. And his name is Augustine DG. So we're going to have a powerful message coming forward. Uh, I got a feeling that we're opening doors to endless possibilities. These men may have some answers for all the financial questions that this government may have at this time. So we're going to tune in. (laughs) We're going to get our pens out. We're going to get our papers out. We're going to take some notes. And we're going to enjoy everything they have to offer to us. You know, this is always uh, one of the most exciting things that I just so love doing about bringing these broadcasts to the people is that uh, being in this classroom with Haroon Niket, it's always just such a wealth of information. But uh, everybody's on standby. Medea Allen's here. She's on standby. She's got a very special message for our listening audience. And those of you who are tuning in for the first time and you're listening via the Internet, you can call us at 213-943-3618. 213-943-3618. The chat room is open in Blog Talk Radio. The chat room is open in Facebook. Look forward to hearing from you. Hold your questions. The Keys 107 and com present the Healthy Tip of the Day. The healthy tip of the day is to add variety to all that you do. While consistency is important, doing the same exercise, eating the same food, doing the same meditation, and even doing the same work every single day can cause boredom and stagnation in your energy flow. Choose one small thing in your life that you haven't changed in a very long time and boldly change it. Introducing variety in our lives through bold change increases creativity, allows for flexibility, and adds back the wonderful element of surprise. Today's healthy tip has been brought to you by Organic Soul Chef Medea Allen. To learn more about my services, visit OrganicSoulChef.com. 
And tonight's show is sponsored by The Fluff Present the Alphabet Journey to Learning Your ABCs. That's available on Amazon.com. Without further delay, let's bring in the one, the only, Haroon Niket. Haroon, are you there? I'm here. Good evening. Man, a good evening to you, and it's glad, we're so happy to hear your voice. So, we know <laughs> we got an action-packed show tonight, and we're going to get right to it. So, um, let us begin. I know that you wanted to discuss some things dealing with the economy. So, let's start right there about the current economy. Well, the current economy is interesting because, um, you know, the government has been telling everybody we're in this recovery period. And so recovery for most people means that they'll be able to get back on their feet. But one of the major issues um, that we're finding, even in this, this race for the presidency that's driving the crazy behavior that we're seeing, is the inability for the average person uh, to recover from the Great Recession, despite what the government is saying. And so while it's true that we're no longer in a recession, technically, the average person has not only failed to recover, but continues to lose money as a result of the recession. So people's retirement accounts are still not performing. Um, salaries still remain low or stagnant. And a huge problem is that debt that was incurred during the recession still haunts people because the high interest rates continue to mount. And so while people should be looking forward to rebuilding in a recovery period, most people have been unable to stop the bleeding long enough to find a way up. Mm, mm. Well, so where are we at in this recessionary period? I mean, are we coming out of it or are we well, still well, in, the, in the thickness of a recession? Well, well technically in, in 2010, we came out of it. You know, from, from an, right, right. Exactly. From an economics perspective in 2010, um, we were no longer in a, in a down cycle. We're no longer in a recession. And so from, from 2010 up into this period, we're still called in this recovery period. And, you know, you say we don't feel it, which means the average person, this is true. But the right. top 1% is feeling it tremendously in the sense that they're benefiting greatly from the recession. And because they were positioned differently, um, they made a tremendous amount of money coming out of recession, but the average person still finds themselves slipping deeper and deeper and deeper in debt, and it's like running on this, this treadmill, unable to do anything about it, and can't figure out, you know, how to deal with the debt, um, can't figure out how to increase income, can't figure out any way to, uh, to improve their situation. And so it's very troubling for the average person when you hear uh, government officials saying, oh, we're in this recovery period and, and there are more jobs and there are more of these things when you see your bank account continue to dwindle if it, if it exists at all, or you see your retirement account dwindling, um, when you can't see your, your life improving in any way, shape, or form. And so it's extremely difficult for people uh, to accept that. And that's, again, why you're seeing such a polarized you know, race for, for the presidency. Um, that's why we saw you know, extremes in candidates like, you know, Bernie Sanders and, and Donald Trump on the other end. You saw such dichotomous extremes, but the message was still clear. We're hurting. And, mm. you know, we need
need to find a way out. They both had different directions for trying it, you know, and, you know, um, Hillary's kind of in the middle of it all. But um, it's a message that, that can't be ignored anymore. And if no one really addresses the issue of, of how to, to overcome this, this burden that people feel, then you're going to have this anger, and that anger is going to turn into things that people don't want to deal with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, do me a favor here. For the listening audience, break down what is the long-term debt that we actually are looking at or focusing on right now. Well, I'm, I'm talking about people's personal debt. And, mm-hmm. you know, it could be like, most people carry certain debt. Most people have credit card debt. Um, if you own a home, you have a mortgage. And so those are the two greatest burdens that, that people um, really were hurt by during the recession. And so, you know, we had the, the – crisis in real estate, then everybody, a lot of people who had mortgages, they found their properties, which you call upside down, meaning that the property was worth less than what the mortgage was. We saw a lot of people at that time refinancing. Um, we saw a lot of people at that time who had adjustable rate mortgages and the rates adjusted and they're not affordable anymore. Um, you know, people had to live off of a credit card. You know, most people, uh, unfortunately had to use a credit card like an emergency fund. And it's not an emergency fund because it accrues interest. And, most people got the default interest rate, and that's as high as 32%. And so when you're talking about carrying a, a, a maybe five, six, seven, eight, ten, twelve thousand dollar debt at 32% interest, um, with the salaries that most people have, they can't even pay the minimum payment, let alone knock down the principal. And so mm-hmm. that debt is growing and growing and growing and growing year after year after year. Um, you know, other debts, uh, student loans. You know, uh, that's a, it's a major hot topic. Nobody's been able to figure out really how to deal with student loans yet. And that's why that's, again, a major topic of the politicians, how to, how to refinance or, or somehow eliminate that debt that most people carry uh, when they step out of school um, and they have this, uh, a debt greater than their income. You know, it's ridiculous. So we're not going to really cover um, student loans because that's just a whole other topic that's a mess right now, mm-hmm. from a, even from a political standpoint. But the most common debt that I'll talk about today or credit card debt and uh, mortgage debt. Right. Now, um, just so so we can uh, be clear, you say that 32% is not usury. What oh, I okay. mean so by you, that. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought that up. Okay. So each state has its own laws for what usury is. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's a state law. In New York state usury is above 16%. But, Delaware, uh, their law says it's whatever the market will bear. And so if you notice all your credit cards, all the banks are, are basically, the credit cards come from Delaware because that way they're subject to Delaware laws. And you signed an agreement agreeing to that. And so 32% is not usury because the market said, okay, we'll accept it. And since you accepted it and now it becomes part of the market, then it's not usury. Okay. I know a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people were troubled by that, um, but it, they told you specifically in the agreement that you signed, this is what the, the interest rate would be, and if you default, this is the default interest rate, and people accepted that, and once you accept it, it's what the market will bear. Okay. Now, but you, you, you brought up the best point, Haru. Um, it's in the agreement, and that is the key word right there. It's the agreement that you signed. Yes, right. And that's going to be important 
uh, as we go forward with what we're going to talk about. You did sign an agreement. You know, it was a contractual agreement between you and the bank. And so it's a business agreement where each party understands or should have understood uh, what the expectation is from the other and what the outcome is if one side does not perform. Mm. And that's, that's going to be critical to understanding how we're going to overcome, you know, the debt and turn it into something positive for ourselves. Well, can you tell us when is it no longer, uh, when does it no longer make sense to hold on to a debt of uh, of long-term debt, i.e. the mortgage? Like in Long Island, we had all, we have all these zombie houses that people walked away from their property because of the long-term debt that we're talking about. And the, uh, okay, so uh, that's, a, that's a great question. And um, what I'm going to do is go back about a year ago today, almost, we did a show on debt. And after that show, one of the listeners emailed me, and mm-hmm. he said to me, he said, I came up with a lump sum of money, and he said, well, what should I do first? Should I invest that money, or should I pay off my debt? And I thought that was a great question. As, you know, most people would have that question. If I come up with some money, should I pay off the debt, or should I invest? And my answer was simply, it depends, and, because we have to be strategic with every decision that we make with our money. So in most cases the interest on the debt is greater than the potential return on investment. So any gains would be automatically negated if you invest instead of paying off the debt. So I'll give you an example. Um, If you had the default interest rate of 32% and you found, I don't know, a mutual fund or something that was paying 10%, it wouldn't make sense to put it into 10% because, you know, that 10% is negated by the 32%, which still accrues interest. You know, so your debt would still grow even though you're investing. And so um, when you're no longer, so if you flip that, uh, when you're no longer getting value or benefit from the agreement between you and the lender, then you should consider a different strategy, right? So if let's go back to that same example. If you got 32%, that's probably because you got the default interest rate. If you get the default interest rate, that probably means that they capped um, the credit line as well, which means that you're no longer able to use the credit. So if you're no longer able to use credit and all it is doing is incurring greater debt without you being able to use it, it doesn't make sense for you to continue to pay it. Um, And in, in the case that you brought up with the zombie properties in Long Island, if you found yourself, uh, you bought a property at, I don't know, uh, $700,000, and then for some reason it dropped in value. So you're carrying a mortgage for $700,000 that dropped in value to $500,000. It doesn't make sense necessarily to continue to pay on that property that's only worth $500,000. You're going to end up paying more than $700,000. And so there are times when um, you're no longer getting value. It doesn't make sense to continue your end of the deal because uh, an agreement means we're mutually – supposed to benefit. So you're getting a benefit and I'm getting a benefit. But if the situation turned around where you're getting a benefit and I'm losing, then why would I put myself in that position? And so at, at minimally at that point, you should look to renegotiate the debt. Mm. Right? So, so that, that it becomes, yeah. That, that's important to say because most folks get under that duress and they shut down. They don't communicate back to the lender. They don't talk to the bank, and you can't negotiate something unless you initiate communication. And banks don't make it easy. 
And, you know, let's be realistic. You know, um, they have so many customers, and and for for them, I think people make this mistake and think that they have this individual relationship with the bank, and and they don't. You know, you're a number. You're actually, you know, uh, an asset if you're performing, and a non-performing asset if you're not performing. That's all you mm-hmm. are to the bank. You're either a performing asset or a non-performing asset. And if you're a performing asset, they're making money off of you. If you're a non-performing asset, they're not making money from you. And they're going to do what's in their own best interest either way. And so mm-hmm. banks, you know, typically make you jump through hoops if you don't understand the process in order to renegotiate. Um, but that should be your, your first step, you know, try to renegotiate either the, the principal or the terms or the interest. You always want to try to renegotiate first. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a process, but, you know, we're not going to talk about the lower-level process because most people try that and fail. And so, you know, wh- when do we take it to the ultimate level? And, yeah. you know, we're going to talk about, you know, what most business owners do. And it's, it's interesting, you know, Trump is catching a lot of flack for some of his business practices, but some of his business mm-hmm. practices are 100%, not only 100% legal, they're, they're 100% common in the business world. And... Um, you know, because most people don't understand that, uh, and they've been conditioned to think a certain way, they, they're looking at him like he's crazy. Um, you know, he's crazy for other reasons, but you know, some of his business practices are, like I said, 100% legal and 100% normal on that level. And so we're going to talk about a powerful tool uh, to overcome debt, and it's called strategic default. Okay. So, so what we have to understand is that most lenders have no incentive whatsoever to renegotiate the terms or the interest rates on your debt, right? So we just mentioned you should try to renegotiate. But there's no incentive for a lender to try to renegotiate with you because that means that they might take a little bit of a loss and you don't have the leverage to to force their hand in most cases, but they they tend to have leverage on their side with the threats that they they put out to you. and so if there's no leverage, then if, if – and I say you have no leverage if they look at your your uh, bank account or your bank statements and it says, well, you have the ability to pay. You've been paying me. So you're just telling me you don't want to pay? Then why should they move? And so mm-hmm. in order to create leverage, you have to force the hand of a lender. And how do you force the hand of a lender? Then you have to use this tool called strategic default. And strategic default is the willful decision – to no longer service a debt, and there's a reason we do that. So we're saying we're making a strategic decision. I'm not going to service the debt anymore. I'm just not going to pay. And we do it for a few reasons. We'll do it to buy ourselves time. We'll do it to force their hand and renegotiate principal interest or, or the payment terms, or we'll do it as a means of trying to ultimately have the debt eliminated completely. Okay, okay, let me get this right. You, you're saying if we were having the situation where the mortgage is upside down. And I'm, and, and I'm not going to deal with more. Let me deal with, with credit cards first because I think more people have credit cards than, than they have mortgages. But let's just okay. say, for instance, let's deal with the credit cards. If mm-hmm. suddenly you found yourself – and this is, this is common for most people. Let me just go through that process. Um, people, let's say they had $5,000 credit limit, and times got hard. And salaries, you know, aren't that great, and people can't make ends meet, and so they start buying things on the credit card with the idea of, 
I'll be able to make up this money later and pay it off over time. And what happens is they miss one payment, make a late payment. And all it takes is one late payment to trigger the default interest rate. And so it might have been manageable doing it that way when it was at 10, maybe 12, even 14%. But suddenly they get in the mail, it's 32%. And that means, you know, it's pretty much doubled. You know, the, the, um, the, the minimum payment is doubled. And that's no longer affordable. And not only is it doubled, they capped your, uh, your credit line to whatever it is that you owe. And so every month that you pay down on it, they keep lowering the credit line. So that means they're not extending you additional credit. So all you're doing is seeing this debt grow, and you're not getting benefit with the ability to use credit anymore. To me, that's a perfect time to make this decision to use strategic default. It's saying, you know what? The bank is getting benefit. I'm no longer getting benefit. When I made this agreement, it was a mutual benefit. Then I need to strategically default. Now, again, there's several reasons why we would do it. We might do it just to, just to, to force the hand of the bank and say, you know, I want to pay, but I can't pay this. I can't pay what you've been, you know, doing. Uh, lower, lower the interest rate or stop mm-hmm. letting it accrue interest. Do something so that it's manageable. And the bank might agree. You might do it because you know there's a long, long process, at least a year, maybe longer, before the bank can try to take you to court and recover the money. And so you might say, well, you know, if I'm not paying that for an entire year, then I can take this money and do something else that will generate money that would allow me to be able to, to pay it off later. Um, so there, there are many reasons you could do it. So, again, you could do it to be buying time. You could be doing it to again, delay and try to get a settlement later for a lower amount. Um, you could do it to change the interest rate, to change the terms. But it's a, a, a decision that you're going to make uh, based on a desired outcome. And so you don't just do it with no plan in mind or no, no goal in mind. You know, you're going to make that decision, number one, because it's, it's no longer a benefit to you to continue to pay it. Um, two, it's probably hurting you. Not only is it not a benefit, it's probably hurting you to continue paying it. And three, you, it gives you the opportunity to be able to do something different with that money. Um, so I'm not saying don't pay it and then run out and go you know, buy some frivolous things, but you're going to take that money and, and utilize that to maybe knock down some other debt and then be able to come back to this one, or you're going to take that money and be able to invest it and make, some, make a return on it. You're going to do something with that money that you're not dumping down a, a hole that's getting you nowhere. Now, how long does this strategic default um, strategy take place before you truly get the attention of the the lender? That's a good question. So in the case of, of credit cards, um, there's a process, right? So you'll stop paying, and immediately you'll start getting phone calls. I mean, a week after being late, your phone will start lighting up. So you'll, you'll get attention, Um You'll get that default interest rate if you if you hadn't had it already. You'll get a cap of the credit limit if you didn't have it already. Um, so you'll get calls, you're late, you're late, you're late. Within a month or so, then you'll start getting calls of an offer to, to settle. They'll say, well, we'll stop accruing the interest, but pay it off in big lump sums and let us take it right out of your bank account. And some people are okay with that. I personally would stretch it out a little further. Um, but, again, it depends on what you're trying to get out of it. And so if you just wanted the interest to stop accruing, then 
that's as far as it goes for you. You you make an agreement to pay it off in maybe, you know, five payments of, you know, lump sums. Um, if you want to take it further and you decline their offer, which, again, depends on what your desired outcome is, then they'll start calling again and they'll threaten. They'll say, well, we're going to charge it off. Um, is if that's supposed to scare you um, because a charge-off simply means they get to write it off as a bad debt on their taxes. It doesn't mean anything to you um, except it's a, uh, it goes on your credit report that it was a charge-off. But at that point, your credit probably is bad already, so it doesn't matter, right? <laughs> and, then yeah. and then they'll threaten you that, well, you know, it'll be out of our hands soon because we'll sell the debt. And a couple of months later, guess what? They will. So now we're talking three, four months, maybe five, six months. They sold the debt to, to a third party which means they charged it off, which they wrote it off on their taxes, which means that um, as a tax write-off, they're pretty much paid, right? But they also sell the debt for pennies on a dollar to somebody else so they can come after you. So they kind of got paid twice. They wrote it off on their taxes, so you shouldn't feel away, by the way, right? And they sold the debt to a third party um, at pennies on a dollar, so they got some additional money that came in. Now what's going to happen is, that third party is going to start calling you. They'll probably call you more frequently than the, than the other. Right? They'll call you from morning till night, from 8 o'clock in the morning until 9 o'clock at night. They'll call constantly, probably every hour on the hour. And then they'll offer you a settlement offer. And you can, again, because more time is passed, you're talking about maybe 9, 10, 11 months, you can make a settlement offer with them if you're comfortable with that at that point, or you can decline it. And, again, it stretches out even further. About a year, maybe a little more than a year into the process, then you'll receive a summons to court. And the summons to court, at that point, you can uh, you, you need to, I say, seek legal advice because I'm not an attorney. I can't tell you exactly. But what I would do, I <laughs> legal advice. <laughs> I can't. Right? I'm not a lawyer. Uh, what I would do would, would be to file an answer and then go to court. Right. So there's a certain way you have to file your answer, too. And, again, I can't get into the necessary details of that. But um, most uh, civil courts have people that will help you for free to file an answer. Most courts have legal help in New York City, they do, and I'm sure in other places they also have people who will help you write an answer for credit card things. Um, so you file an answer, and then when you go to court, the attorney for the other side will try to make an, uh, a settlement with you before you go to the judge, before anything happens. They'll offer you a settlement right in court. You can accept that settlement that they offer you, or you can wait until they call you, and when the judge calls you, you're going to ask for an adjournment because you need time for discovery. Mm-hmm. And there's certain documents that you'll ask for in discovery, and um, especially when it was assigned, and if they don't have proof of assignment, if the debt doesn't look right, if the things that are wrong, then you take it to trial. And if they don't have proof of assignment, if it was a third party, you ask for a dismissal, and the debt gets dismissed completely. If not, if the, if the discovery looks great and it looks like you're going to lose, you still have time to settle. Because what we have to understand is that courts would prefer that you settle than go to trial because it, it takes up more time uh, going to trial. And so you still have opportunities. So you have a year and a half, a whole year and a half from the time, just with a credit card, usually from the time you started the strategic default, meaning you decided not to pay, until it gets to that point where you can be before a judge. Um, and if you're comfortable doing that, going, you know, depends on, again, what your, your goals are. So that means a whole year and a half you have 
of not paying that that debt and the 32% interest if it's that high and taking your money and reorganizing and, and putting it towards things that will grow over time. Mm-hmm. So, so there's you know, no set amount, you know, uh, you know, where we should pursue this type of um, strategy, meaning a thousand dollars, five thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars. It's what it's the ability of, uh, I guess, of the individual who's in debt yes. to repay. Absolutely, you have to know your ability. Don't make a deal that you can't stick with, because then if you don't stick to the deal, you know, usually the stipulation when you make a, a, a deal. Is if you don't pay as per agreed the settlement amount, then you then you get the judge they get a judgment for the full amount. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So we so you know you have to know what your means are, and if you don't have the means, then take it all the way to the end. Okay. Okay. So what are the negative strategies um, or the negative outcomes that can come from using this strategy? Well, the the biggest. I think hurdle is the emotional challenge that people have. And so when we talk about strategic default, most people were raised to honor their debts, you know, and you have to understand this is strictly business. It's a contractual agreement. You know, it's not an agreement between you and your family or you and your best friend. You know, it was a business decision for the bank. They looked at your profile and said, okay, we're going to take a chance, but if this doesn't work, this is our legal recourse. If you don't pay, uh, we're going to hit you with this interest rate, but if you fail to pay that, then, you know, with a credit card, it's an unsecured debt, which, so we can't take, you know, back any property, but what we can do is take this to court and see if we can get our money back. It's a business decision, and so when you get over that emotional hurdle, because that's the biggest challenge, right? People say, oh, my reputation. They're not, they're not thinking about your reputation. They're not thinking about how <laughs> you're struggling. They don't think about how you feel. They don't care. You know, it's, it's business. And so... Um, you know, in the contractual agreement, the terms are clear of what happens if you don't pay. And so all, all you're doing is following the, the contract that you signed. And so if you look mm-hmm. at it that way, well, this is, this is the agreement I made. I said if I don't pay, you can take me to court, so let's go to court. You know, let's, let's follow the procedure. So that's, Yeah, but let's be real. Challenge. Yeah. I wrote, most people, yeah. and, and perhaps I'm guilty of this as well, do not read that contract. We get a credit card, you know, for whatever the reasons are, whether it's, whether it's because it's an emergency or we have some long-term plan or idea of something that we want to get for that immediate mm-hmm. gratification. We don't even think about that it's a, it's, it's a contract. Right. And so when you're in trouble, you should read it at least. I mean, you should have read it before you <laughs> signed it. <laughs> but, but now that you're in trouble, I think it's time to, to you know, take out the glasses and, and read it and say, okay, what, what is the process here? What's going to happen? Because they're not going to tell you the process on the phone. They're going to tell you you have to pay. They're going to tell you if you don't pay, it's going to hurt your credit. They're going to tell you if you don't pay, you know, there's going to be a lawsuit. And they, they tell you all the things that are going to make you so fearful that you make a bad decision. You should never make a decision based on fear. All your decisions should be based upon information, which means that you have to take that time. And, again, if you're not comfortable doing it, then you should seek legal counsel. Um, And, again, you can get a lot of free legal counsel that can explain a simple credit card contract to you and what the process is because it's so common. Um, It's unbelievable. Every day you're talking about tens of thousands of people who are in court um, because of credit card stuff. So it, it's, you know, it's not that most people think they're alone, right? And so they don't even want to talk about it. They don't even share the information with their friends. 
But anybody who's ever come to me and said, Haru, I got a problem with the credit card, I've been able to walk them through the process. You know, this is not, it's not something you have to be super intelligent to do. It's just something you have to just pay attention to the simple process I just, just talked about. Um, and so when I say your, your contract says that, I'm not even talking about the fine details. The process is this. You made an agreement for them to extend you credit. In return, you made an agreement that you would make monthly payments, and there would be a minimum monthly payment that you would agree to. You agreed that if you didn't pay off the full amount during that month, that interest would accrue at a particular rate. You agreed that if you made a, a late payment, that they could kick in the default interest rate, which is extremely high. You agreed that if you didn't pay, because this is all in your agreement. I'm telling you what's in your agreement. You, you also agreed that if you failed to pay, that they had a right to pursue legal action or sell the debt who, to somebody else who could pursue legal action. That's what it is. Mm. So that's, that's the biggest thing. The second biggest hurdle I think that people have with it is the fear that it's going to hurt their credit. And it will hurt mm-hmm. your credit. But usually at that point, your credit's already hurt. Now, the good thing about a credit score is that, that a credit score is not static. And, you know, just it can also go up quickly once the debt is paid off. And so once the debt is paid, then you start seeing an increase. Also, at the same time, you know, this is a negative, remark, uh, negative mark on your credit, you can add positives to the credit. So as long as you're adding positives and at, at some point this comes off, your credit score is going to return to where it was. And, you know, one thing we have to also uh, note is that uh, credits, a credit score is used primarily to borrow money at a good interest rate. And so you shouldn't be in the borrowing zone right now. If you're in the recovery zone and you're in the paying off zone, then you shouldn't be in the borrowing zone. You pay these things off so that you can build the credit and then you'll be able to borrow again later if necessary. And so if you're not worrying about having to borrow, if 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 you need to make a major purchase where you have to borrow, then you shouldn't do a strategic default at that time because it's not very strategic, right? And so, you know, um, although your credit score can affect other things if you're need a new apartment, somebody's going to look at your credit score and say, oh, I don't know, maybe you'll have to pay an extra month security. Uh, or, you know, um, in New York, unfortunately, it's legal to deny somebody a job, certain jobs, uh, because of a credit score. But in general, you know, you have to make that decision. Am I, am I credit sensitive? Am I worried about my credit score? Or is it more important for me to be able to deal with this debt and actually grow some money in the meantime? And, and like I say, I don't think you should be in the borrowing zone if you're in the recovery zone. Because there are some times when you don't really worry about the credit score. And I think you had talked about this in one of our earlier shows, that when you're not trying to make a big ticket purchase like a house or a car, right. you know, if right. you've already satisfied those needs in your life, then, you know, that, that credit score and that threat of of the um, per- predicament of a of a you know, dying credit score doesn't choke you. Right. And then the, the, the third, uh, I think, hurdle that people have to get over is that fear of a lawsuit. And as I explained earlier, there are so many steps that occur before a lawsuit happens that give you the opportunity to resolve the debt at any stage. Um, you, you shouldn't worry about it. You know, and if there's a lawsuit, there's a lawsuit. You won't be in there alone. There'll be so many people in there that look just like you. Um, you know, and it's designed to be somewhat intimidating. But again, if you understand that, that procedure, that process, um, you, you shouldn't you shouldn't fear it. Um, and again, like I said earlier, the court encourages settlement. So even 
at the court, when you arrive there, somebody will offer you a settlement agreement before you see the judge. So, you know, those are, those are the, the drawbacks that most people, you know, have um, that stop them from actually pursuing it. But those shouldn't be things that stop you. If it makes sense from a dollars and cents perspective, then just go for it. Okay. Okay. So, Haru, um, I know that I'm looking in the chat room. Someone just sent me a message. Want to know a little bit about the real estate before we transition into the the default on the real estate. Let's let us take a uh, quick break and make sure that we have on the line with us our uh, co uh, co guest tonight. So, give us that moment. Let's go to quick break, Rafika, and we'll come right back to the Keys 107. The Keys 107. We'll be right back. Fluff, presents the alphabet, is available on Amazon.com and on Kindle. So get your copy today. For more information, visit them online, www.thefluffffamily.com. And we'd like to take a moment to thank all of our listeners, all those those callers who are on the switchboard. Know that if you want to ask Haru or Augustine a question, you have to press the number one on your keypad. And those of you listening online and you're ready to take the plunge and listen, call in. The number is 213-943-3618. 213 Welcome. Your calls, your conversations, and your suggestions. The chat room is open on Blog Talk and on the and on in Facebook. Okay, Haru, I want you to take this opportunity to introduce your partner and uh, bring him forward, and we're going to start this discussion on the real estate and how we recover in a real estate situation. All right. Um, so Augustine DG and I have been friends and business partners now for about 12 years. And uh, he and I both have uh, extensive knowledge in, in not only real estate investing, but also in debt settlement. And we actually had, during the recession, when it first happened, we had a, a, um, a business where we would actually teach, we would do it for people and walk people through the process of, of you know, renegotiating, settling, and, you know, um, just do a strategic defaults and anything they had to do to be able to recover, you know, from real estate and or credit card debt. And although I left that, that industry, that's Augustine's primary thing. That's what he does for people. So he consults with people every single day. So I, I felt since his expertise was so great that it made sense to bring him in um, on the conversation because he has such extensive knowledge and again he does this every single day for you know hundreds of people um and he's done it for for, for years now and so without further ado i'd like to bring on my good friend um business partner augustine dg haru i uh thank you for that really good introduction and to rafika and brother james i also thank you for allowing me to 
speak to all the listeners. Well, we thank you. Well, we also like to welcome you to the Keys 107. You're about to experience a wonderful, wonderful journey of opening doors to endless possibilities in the pursuit of love, peace, and happiness. Yes, love those words. Thank you. So, you know, <laughs> listening, to, <laughs> listening to what Haru said about strategic default, it, is a, it requires a serious decision because it, it's a fearful uh, decision to make to stop paying your debt. And most of my time is spent with homeowners who really, at the end of the day, are in a cash crunch. To an extent, they can afford to pay their mortgage, but that payment, which is normally your largest expense, is draining them from doing other things. They're in fear. And Mm -hmm. still, as Haru pointed out, not everyone has fully recovered from the economic crisis. So my clients come to me, some of them paying $1,000, $2,000, $3,000, $4,000 a month at high interest rates that haven't changed, 8%, 7%, especially mm-hmm. in a low interest rate environment. Say, look, I'm spending $3,000 a month. It's 50 to 60% of my income monthly. I don't have enough to do what I want to do with my family. I'm afraid of my future. If... Uh, I'll have savings, what can I do? And that brings up the issue or the actually a strategy of doing a strategic default. Okay. So back when the market crashed, everything crashed, including property values. So you had many homeowners looking at their mortgage statement, owing a bank $500,000, $600,000, and then their property's worth half of that. So it pained them to make that monthly payment knowing that they could never have any equity. And why do people buy a home? Most people buy it for an investment. They believe that down the road they can pass that along or sell it and move on. So that fear of not being able to pull out equity created a, uh, a, a, a lot of financial stress. And then as I said earlier, Cash flow. It's always about your cash flow. Spending $3,000 a month and not having enough at the end of the day creates fear. Now, yeah, exactly. So this, they'll come to me and say, Augustine, look, I, it's two scenarios. One scenario, they want, they don't want to make any more payments and they've called the lender. And as Haru pointed out, a lender will not agree to change its, the loan terms if you're paying, and it's counterintuitive. If you say, look, Mr. Lender, uh, or Chase, let's say Chase Bank, I'm unable to continue making payments due to these reasons. Can we work it out? They'll say, well, you're current. And, and banks will tell you to, they will tell you over the phone, well, look, since you're current, we can't help you. But if you stop making your mortgage payment, we can consider you for a loan modification, which is a very interesting thing to understand. Now, when someone approaches the decision to make the strategic default, there's a process. And that process requires considering all of the steps. 
it's not an easy thing to do. It, 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 it really, you know, I'm part a strategic advisor, and I'm also, I feel, a psy, psychologist. I've experienced, you know, the strategic default phenomenon myself and was able to successfully navigate my own real estate utilizing the method. So as, a, as one who's gone through it, I can sit with people and make them feel comfortable about the strategic default process. Now, I will add there are some investors who own real estate and understand that doing a strategic default can put extra cash in their pockets. They understand that it takes years for a bank to recover a property. So even if they have enough income, they will absolutely just stop paying and use that extra money that would have gone to mortgage payments and invest it and get a greater return. For the most part, most of my clients are homeowners who want to keep their home. And so they want to keep their home, but they absolutely need to lower their payments. Mm-hmm. Now, the issue, go ahead. No, I was going to say, what, what are the steps that you have to take? What is the first step, in fact, to move forward in this process? Well, I think the first step is and you have to respect your the lender's perspective. Mm-hmm. They do not have to negotiate anything. You sign mm-hmm. a contract, you agree to pay, and even if you're in serious distress, they do not have to negotiate. So you have to appreciate that every decision they make will not take your personal situation into account. They will simply look for any means to get their money. Keeping that in mind, that keeping that in mind, then you must make, you must then create a plan. Your plan must convey to the lender that you're able to pay a reduced amount. But just as important, the plan has to be where do you want to go? So, for example, a client will come in and say, look, I cannot make the payments anymore. So we'll sit and talk about their income, and we'll look at all of the sources of their income and add that up. We'll look at their expenses and add that up. So we'll create what is called an income expense available cash assets and liabilities worksheet. You must know where you are to get to where you need to go. And that brings quite a bit of realism for the homeowner. Mm-hmm. They also have to gather all of their documentation, their letters, their contracts. In some insta- instances, a foreclosure action has begun. We have to gather all of this information and put it together. Now, the reason I talk about creating that worksheet and gathering the documents is to get the homeowner to become disciplined. It's easy to not make a payment and to some extent and then speak to the bank and the, the bank will, most banks will guide you through, the, through a loan modification process. They will, if, if you're in, def, in default, they will hold your hand to some extent 
to help you get a loan mod. But the interesting thing with the lender is they will ask for so much information strictly to see how much money they can get out of you. And so if you come to the table and put a plan together and just run to the lender and don't prepare yourself, you could end up getting rejected or giving the lender more than they would have accepted. And that's an important principle to understand. Mm-hmm. Can you hold that thought right there? We're looking at a situation that's been prolonged, maybe four or five years now that people have been dealing with these mortgages and defaulting and trying to get modifications and so forth. And early on, banks decided that they were not going to participate or they were going to make it very difficult for uh, the, the, uh, the lendee to get a remodification. So most folk, common people, don't know how to make the approach to the bank. So they need to be able to come to someone like yourself and Brother Haru to help them to structure a package that would be acceptable to the bank. Am I clear or am I making sense here? That makes Absolutely. sense. Mm-hmm. So interest. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No. So the key is with this is people have to know that you exist because most folks are trying to do it on their own and they're getting rejected. What do you say to those folks? It's a great question. Well, the way I do my strategic default consultation is I educate homeowners, my clients. I don't expect them to just hand me the documents and then I do everything and they're waiting and they call me once in a while and say, did I get it? Did I get it? Has it happened? I actually have everyone go through the steps themselves. I give them action work to do so they're involved. They will be on the phone with me when I speak to the lender so they'll learn how to do it on their own. So, okay. yes, to an extent, they would come to myself or Haru to get the knowledge, but the key is for a homeowner, they themselves have to be comfortable doing it on their own because it's really not a complicated process. What, what affects people is their emotions. And when emotions are up, intelligence is down, and you don't see all of the options in front of you. And I think for me, I, I deal more with investors and homeowners, and, and so I don't have to deal with the emotional baggage that comes along with it. And so he has to be extremely patient and, and do a lot of hand-holding. And, you know, one of the things he didn't mention, one of the reasons that he has them uh, involved in the process is, is because when they sit home and they don't understand the process, you know, they're upset with the person who's helping them. Like, what's going on? Why, why aren't things moving fast enough? And when they actually get to sit there and hear the bank with him on the phone, you know, they realize the, the hurdles that the bank will put him through, and they realize how the process goes. Now, I, I approach strategic default from a real estate perspective, again, with uh, investors a little different. Um, because it's not their primary residence, they're a lot more gung-ho about using a strategy because, you know, instead of um, – you know, just trying to get some cash flow to live, they're looking at how do I profit from this? And so one of the things he talked about earlier was that, you know, people will look at trying to get equity out of a property and the property turned upside down. The other thing he talks about was people want cash flow. As an investor, 
equity and cash flow means something different than it does for a homeowner. A homeowner looks at equity as maybe one day, like you said, I'll be able to sell it and, and downsize and live somewhere else, or I'll be able to borrow from it by refinancing. An investor looks at equity as I'm going to try to flip this property for, for a profit, or I'm going to get cash flow from rent. But if a property is upside down, meaning that it's not worth what they paid for it, then an investor makes a business decision. Why would I continue paying on an investment where I'm losing? And how do I get my equity back? And how do I get cash flow out of this as long as I can? Because as an investor, you know, the philosophy is right until the wheels fall off and they let it go. Where a homeowner can't necessarily let it go because they have no place to go. And so when, when I, you know, look at an investor and I say, well, this would be a good time to strategically default on real estate. It's when the property is upside down. How do you get your equity back? Stop paying the mortgage. In New York, in New York, it can take three, four, five years before a foreclosure action is completed and the property is taken. So if you're not paying the mortgage and you're, you know, uh, still collecting rent, let's be real, you're going to still collect rent, um, then that cash flow is coming in every single month, and your big, biggest expense on that investment is not being paid out. And so now that three thousand, you know, dollars that you would have been paying every month for a mortgage comes back to you. If you get $3,000 a month, 12 months, that's $36,000 a year. If you can stall this thing for five years, that's a nice piece of change. And then if they want the property, take it because that was in our contractual agreement. I might at that point say, here, here's a deed in lieu of foreclosure. You can just take it. We don't even have to do the foreclosure. Um, or, or let's go through the process and see if you can get it, you know, because maybe there's some fault. I'll fight this foreclosure. Maybe you messed up in the paperwork and you won't be able to enforce the foreclosure. Um, and so it's a, a totally different perspective and less of a fear of, you know, ending up on the street. And, and how do I now turn take this property that was draining me and now capitalize on this, on it because the process says I can, because the, the contractual agreement that I entered into says I can. How do I now take that, you know, um, $36,000 loss every year and turn it into a $36,000 gain, which ultimately turns into – you know, $150,000 for me, um, and that, then I just got my equity back, and then I'll walk away. Mm. And to, to piggyback on what Haru said, the, as it stands now, most people who have strategically defaulted in the last three, four, five, six years still have their property, especially here in New York State. In fact, it could take longer than five years. It could take six or seven years. So it, it ends up becoming profitable for those investors who have made that decision. Now, if you decide to strategically default, it may be a bit different. Banks have got, gotten a little bit better in handling that, so the timeline is not the same. But you can still get two to three years as an investor, and a homeowner can do the same. And I, but I think it's important to understand that the plan is so critical and that plan has to be put into writing so for example when myself works with the homeowner or investor everything's in writing and if there's a timeline which is dynamic plans change but you have to have a plan to know where you're going with this and it's mm -hmm. also important to understand that the process is not easy you have to be tough every month your phone calls someone might come by the property to inspect, it can create nervousness, legal papers. So 
at one end, you are improving your cash flow, but at the other end, it's a stressful process. But if you're willing to deal with that, it can change your life. And in fact, it has changed many lives. Mm. Many people who have strategically defaulted have obtained loan modifications and reduced interest rates to two, between 2 to 4% fixed 30 to 40 years, and in some instances, 30 to 40% off in principal reduction. Creating infinite. Pardon me? I'm about to say, wow, because you're probably talking about uh, reducing your housing costs almost in half for most people. And we have to look at the value of that because, you know, in most cases, real estate values have increased. So you got 30 to 40% off, you know, uh, which gave you now instant equity. And as the values increase, the equity grows tremendously. And so sometimes we, we undervalue. Uh, how significant that is when you're talking about, uh, you know, 30 years of how much instant equity you got and then the accumulation of equity over time. Um, and that becomes important, again, later on in life if, if you decide to sell and downsize to another place or, you know, if you uh, recover later on and, and need to extract some money from that. Mm-hmm. Now, we have to take advantage of this strategy now because it, it, no one can say that the um, – the law is not going to change or the uh, locally here in New York or wherever you're at where the foreclosure process is uh, not as lengthy anymore. It's some, you know, uh, I know that the, it's really a protective factor to keep people in their homes so we can take advantage of it right now. But what if the, if the market is saturated with homes that uh, are in foreclosure or what have you, would that impact the decision-making of the legislators to change how things are done with foreclosures. It's interesting you say that. Here in New York, the legislature uh, recently did do that, and Governor, mm. Governor Cuomo signed a law, and interestingly, that law benefits homeowners that, okay. have, that actually live in their home. And in, one in, and in one sense, it prolongs the process. And, and that's information we can give to the uh, listeners later and if they want to learn more about that. For properties that are completely vacant and or abandoned, as they're called, then the law has changed, and those properties can be foreclosed upon much quicker. But if it's your home or if you're living there or if you're still in control and they're tenants or whatnot, it's interesting, the law has changed, which actually adds more time. But that being the case, let's look at the other side. The courts, and I'm not an attorney. An attorney can provide more information, but this is based on experienced clients. The courts are trying to streamline and make sure the banks are on point, so the process has shortened up a bit, but the new law has kind of expanded it. So, Homeowners, to an extent, will have a bit more time, several years at the end of the day, here in New York State. Not every state is different. New York State is a judicial, judicial court state, so when a foreclosure started, you go before a judge. Other states, you don't necessarily go before a judge. It's simply just hand in the paperwork, stamp, file, move to sale. New York is very unique in that it has a long timeline, 
So strategic default uh, becomes a very useful technique. Additionally, um, you have to consider other aspects of the strategic default. And we, we kind of touched upon it, but you do need to have your professionals around you. An accountant, why is an accountant important? When you make any financial decision, especially a strategic default where you decide to not pay a debt, but you're collecting income, you need to speak to your accountant to find out what are the tax consequences. That's mm. critical. Well, explain that you to can't. them a little more because, because people don't realize, you know, when you say tax consequence, why would there be a tax consequence? Okay, I will explain that. Good, uh, good point, Haru. There, there are a few tax consequences. First of all, if, if you don't pay your mortgage, you don't get the interest deduction that you normally were taking, and that could have reduced your tax liability. That's number one. Number two, the income that you're collecting and not using towards an expense could raise your, would raise your total income and could affect your tax bracket. Additionally, in certain, if a bank decides to forgive the loan or reduce your loan, there's a consequence. Let me give you an example. Work with the client, uh, and they had a property, and they owed $850,000. After negotiating with the bank for close to a year, the bank agreed to take $500,000 off of the mortgage reduced it to $350,000 at a 2% interest rate. Of course, they thought I was a hero. They were very happy. They were excited. Uh, no longer owing eight hundred and fifty. Now they owe $350,000. Equity, 2%, lower payment. But I explained something important to them. I said that that $500,000 doesn't go, just go away. That $500,000 is considered for forgiveness of debt and under IRS rules and, and state rules, forgiveness of debt is considered income. Therefore, they would receive a 1099, which would also be sent to the IRS in the state, for $500,000. So the IRS would look at it and say, oh, my goodness, they don't have to pay $500,000. They just earned $500,000. Now, it, look. An accountant can help defray what the tax consequence is, but it's important to know that there's a cost in everything you do. But let's still look at it this way. Even, with, even if, for example, they had to pay taxes on that $500,000 forgiven debt, the amount the bank agreed to let go, that, that tax will be, let's, for example, say it's 30%, which comes out to $150,000, that's still less than what they were forgiven. But you still need to know that that's an issue. That's why having an accountant and speaking to an accountant is very important. It's also important to speak to an attorney because there are legal consequences. Once you stop paying the mortgage, at some point, if there is no deal made with the bank, the bank will go to court. And as Haru mentioned, there are, you have to respond to the papers. Many people who 
are not paying their mortgage have probably been served legal papers and just let it go because of fear, not realizing that responding to paperwork is critical to making a deal. So for those listeners who are out there who may have this situation, even if you haven't responded, find a way to respond now. Do not just sit there and do nothing. If you do nothing, you will lose the property for sure because the courts will not let you respond if you wait too long. So it seems like there's some behaviors that have to be addressed when you when you sit with someone one-on-one. That's right. You probably get an idea that they're not good strategic planners and mm-hmm. they now have to adapt new learned behaviors on how yeah. to manage this plan and, and, and see it to the end. That's right. That's right. And I'm glad you said that. that so there's a hand-holding process. So every time I meet with a client, I always tell them, look, we're going to be working together for over a year. Hmm. I can't, you know, though I put the plan together and I expect them to do, to do the action steps, that behavior takes time. So, the, so they have to be able to reach out to me or who, whichever professional they're working with to help them get a new learned behavior. And I, I, that's such a great point. Success in strategic default is changing behavior and having the right information and working with the right professionals. You add that up, and you will likely succeed. I can say that every person that's worked with me either still has a property or has obtained a loan modification or has seen a reduction in their uh, um, uh, principal and the more advanced stuff, which I'll just sort of talk about, statute of limitations where potentially the bank may not be able to even foreclose. But that's a whole different subject, and that, that's a different issue, but that's the, the, where we're going with that. Now, you mentioned consequences. You talked about the tax consequences. Um, you talked about the, um, the tax liability um, and also that the income that you now have can – can be taxed. Is that what you were saying? Or did I miss the point there? That's exactly. That's what, that's uh, what I was saying. <laughs> that was exactly I was hoping I missed saying. the point there. <laughs> well, <laughs> that, and it's an income tax. So the, it's simply put, forgiven debt, debt, any debt that you owe, and the creditor or lender says you don't have to pay it, the IRS and the state taxing authority considers that as income. So, and the way that the IRS and or state authority finds out is they will receive a 1099 from the lender saying, this individual no longer has to pay this debt, and this is the amount they don't have to pay. You will take that document to your accountant, because that's something you cannot just, you need someone who knows what they're doing, so they can put that into your full tax return and explain to the IRS or state tax authority why you shouldn't pay tax on $100,000 that are forgiven or 50000 or 500000 because at the end of the day, people don't have that type of money to pay. So it, it has to work itself out. But it's important to know that that's a big issue. Did I answer your question? Yeah. Now, I, while you were talking, I was also thinking about the um, homeowner's insurance that is often 
folded into the mortgage payment. So if you're not making the payment, then that must affect your homeowner's insurance as well. Well, yes, that's true. You know, I'll tell my client, look, you better pay your homeowner's insurance, number one, because you need to have insurance on your property for fire, for liability, which is important. But the second Mm -hmm. reason is if you don't pay, the bank will put what is called forced placed insurance on the property, which is normally three times what you normally would pay. And that forced place insurance only covers if the property burns down and it only provides insurance to the lender. So if you do... If you don't pay, many mortgages, to make sure your listeners understand, many mortgages wrap insurance payments into the payment. Mm-hmm. So, go ahead. I was going to say, no, no. In, in, in line with what you're talking about with the insurance, I want you to also speak about taxes because most times there is right. money put away uh, to pay the taxes and the insurance directly. So, Yeah, I'll pivot to that. But finishing up on with insurance, it's important that if you don't pay your mortgage, that you maintain your own insurance because the lender's insurance will not provide liability if someone slips on your property and will not save your home in case of a fire. So you're left there. So that's important. And then it's true what you said, uh, excuse me, Brother James, that Mortgage payments also include real estate taxes. And let's here in a city, if you don't pay your real estate taxes, you get a tax lien. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Mayor, well, when Giuliani was the mayor, he put into effect a new way in which tax liens are handled. So now, if there is a tax lien that arises, those liens are sold in the bundle to a corporate entity. That Mm. corporate entity then has the right to collect default interest penalties and to foreclose. Sometimes, and sometimes a bank will continue to make the tax payments, even if you're not paying the mortgage and some lenders do not. So it's important to check. So one of the things that I educate my clients on is how to look up, information about their property online. Here in New York, you can find most information about your taxes, your water bills, and and whatnot for free online to make sure it's being paid. So it's important to make sure you're paying, you you maintain insurance if you're not paying your mortgage, and it's important to make sure your real estate taxes are being paid. So are those the major consequences that you, you're going to face immediately within the first year of trying to do the strategic default? Well, yeah, well, yeah. look, there's, there's other consequences. Obviously, we talked about the credit score. There's a huge impact against the credit score. If you do a strategic default and the bank forecloses, and forecloses mean a foreclosure sale, and they actually sell the property, and at the sale, it doesn't cover that the sale doesn't cover your entire debt. You could face what is called a deficiency judgment, and that's and I'll say the example for 
if you owe the bank, let's say $500,000, and it goes to foreclosure sale, and the bank only collects $300,000, here in New York, the bank has the right to go after the homeowner individually for that $200,000 loss. So that's a risk if you strategically default and you do not get a loan modification and it ends up going to foreclosure sale. A bank also has the option of not doing foreclosure if you don't pay debt. Everyone should understand that. And sometimes a bank may decide to sue you personally. When you sign those documents for a mortgage, you tell the bank or you allow the, you agree to let the bank go after the property or they can go after you, the signer of the mortgage and note. The bank gets to choose. Most time they go after the property because it's the easiest way to get the money, but people should know that a bank could decide to go after you personally, and that's very difficult to defend, and it can take a shorter time, but it's rare. You also have to deal with aggressive debt collection tactics. Many of my clients will say there was someone standing in front of my house taking pictures, or there's a car parked in front of my house. I don't know who it is. Or someone came and knocked on the door. The bank has insidious debt collection tactics to increase your stress level to make sure you make a deal. And that is people knocking on your door, leaving papers, or sitting in front of your home. That's something that you could face. So those are the major consequences from it. Uh, I also like to advise people don't keep cash in the same bank account that all, in the same bank that's your lender. So if Chase <laughs> lend, loaned you money and you laugh that it, this happens, they loaned you money and you also have a Chase account with money in it, there's a chance that money could just go away. Mm. So always keep that separate. So, I mean, those are the major uh, uh, consequences of strategically defaulting. So you're listening to The Keys 107 here. We have our special guest, uh, financial expert, author, and business advisor, Haruna Kett, and his partner, of, uh, uh, who is the author of the book titled Strategic Default. And that book is available on Amazon.com. Digi is on the line with us. And Augustine, can we walk right into... Um, using strategic default in conjunction with a broader recovery plan, or is that, Haru, Haru, are you going to take that part? I mean, we can both kind of handle it, but I think it's important for people to understand that to grow wealth, um, you have to push in two directions. And when I say that, I mean you have to, you have to eliminate costs by reducing debt and excessive expenses, and second, you have to increase income, and, and preferably do that by creating passive income. And so you, when I say as part of a broader plan, your strategic default should give you the, the available cash flow to be able to put into things that are going to create um, you know, growth in terms of your wealth. And so it, it, to me, it, it makes sense to, you know, if you're going to stop paying the credit card, then find an investment that's going to pay you know, 10, 15, 20% for that, that duration while you're waiting. Um, that affords uh, two things. One, it allows you to have a m money available for a settlement at some period of time, but also 
creates an additional income that you didn't have. And so I think, you know, people need to really uh, put this as part of, of their recovery plan. If the country's in recovery, then each individual should have a recovery plan as well. And far too often, we just kind of go with the flow and can't figure out why we're still going backwards while the rest of the country, or I should say a small percentage of the country, is propelling themselves forward. And so, you know, we're in a totally different economic landscape, and we have to be able to, to look at that, assess that, and navigate totally different. And this is a, a strong tool that major, you know, corporations use, that extremely wealthy people use all the time. And so um, when we start thinking of where we want to be in life, you know, in the next few years in terms of our, our wealth development, uh, you know, this to me is, a, is a, an extremely important aspect of that. Mm. And, and piggybacking on what Haru just said, it's, it's a tool amongst many financial tools. Right. So the, the homeowners that I meet with, I always remind them, look, there's so many aspects of rebuilding your financial picture. And strategic default is one, but while you're on the strategic default path, you also must seek other paths of financial freedom and security. Don't just get focused on, oh, I need to just take care of this and let everything go to the wayside. You must also, in conjunction with strategic default, do other strategies so you build that discipline and, and improve your finances. I always say, you know, that the primary reason for strategic default is cash flow protection, savings preservation, and wealth protection. And I'm sure that Haru has talked about wealth protection at some point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Say, uh, um, Augustine, say that again. We, we are trying to take some notes diligently. You said cash flow and wealth protection. Cash flow, cash flow mm-hmm. protection. Mm-hmm. Savings preservation. Got it. And wealth protection. At the end of the day, once you decide to do a strategic default, an educated, well-thought-out strategic default, you should end up in a better financial position than where you were originally. Mm. And so that means, again, it's not a decision that's made from fear. It's part of a decision that's made towards, you know, uh, looking at a bigger picture and saying, where do I want to be? And if it fits in line with what I'm talking about in terms of, you know, um, letting your wealth grow in two directions, meaning eliminating debt, eliminating excess expenses, as well as creating additional income, uh, it's not a, that's not based on fear. That's based on pure strategy. And every wealth decision that we make has to be strategic. You know, we can't say, well, I'm fearful, so I'm going to stop paying and just sit back and leave it like that. It does, that's not how it works in terms of growing wealth. Okay. Well, I think we got a lot in this conversation tonight. Um, I really hope that the listeners have been taking notes, and uh, I believe they're going to need some assistance to, you know, if they're in that situation, to guide them through. And I think the two of you are perfect companions in business, you know, to help them um, survive this and not only thrive in this situation. So I really thank you both for coming on board and having this conversation with us and with the listening audience. And uh, I think, Rafika, at this time, I think we need to ask 
our uh, guests to make sure that they give us all the information for our listening audience to contact them and have maybe some personal conversations with them to help them in their own uh, dilemma. So why don't we give them a moment to gather their thoughts um, on that, and we'll go to a quick commercial break. We come back. Haru and Augustine will let you know how to contact them on social media and through their particular avenues. The Keys 107. We'll be right back. Fluff presents the alphabet is available on Amazon.com and on Kindle. So get your copy today. For more information, visit them online www.thefluffffamily.com. Now, 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 back to the keys. 107 with your host, Lamika and Brother So we're here with Augustine Digi and author of Strategic Default and financial expert and business advisor, Haru Niket. Haru is here with us on the Keys 107 every third Thursday of the month, bringing you expert advice. You can always feel free to call in. When you do call in, those of you that are on the switchboard lit up, you have to press the number one on your keypad, otherwise... We just think you're here to listen, and that's fine with us. But if you want to talk, we're getting close to the closing hour now in Haru, and Augustine is prepared to give you their contact information in case you are ready to put that strategic default plan in action. All right, so, so I can be reached. Um, I have a website, uh, www.insidersgroup.com. Um, you can reach me on uh, social media at Insiders Group Inc. Um, please like the page. And if you need to reach me by email, it's Haru, H-E-R-U, at InsidersGroup.com. And uh, my, thank you. My website is, you, you can see my website, www.strategicdefault.org. That's strategicdefault.org. My business website is align, A-L-I-N-E-R-G.com. Once again, that's A-L-I-N-E-R-G.com. And you can reach me by email at A, a last name, D-I-J-I, that's A D I J I at align A L I N E R G dot com. I like to repeat my last name again. Sometimes the J is substituted with the G. It's A D I J I at align A L I N E R G dot com. That's my email address. Wow. So, um, Augustine, I just want to let you know that the way I remember how to pronounce your name is I think of Digimon. 
It's funny because that's what some some of my friends call me, Digimon. Digimon. <laughs> Digimon, hey, Digimon. Hey. Yeah. yeah, those of yeah. us that, you know, have children fully understand the Digimon. <laughs> Sure, sure, exactly. Yeah, I just want to thank you both, um, you know, once again for taking a moment out of your time and offering this important information and a new strategy and a new way of thinking for some of our listeners who might be in financial distress because of credit card debt or uh, mortgage debt that may be over their heads. And for you to come here and give this information free, these exclusive interviews free of charge is just a blessing. And we thank you and want to let you know that you are welcome here along with Haru at any time. Thank you. I appreciate that. So all of our shows are archived. You can listen to us on iTunes at the Keys 107. You can listen to the playback on blogtalkradio.com forward slash the keys 107 you can go to our website to find out more about us uh, www.thekeys107network.com and you can send us your show ideas or your suggestions to suggestions at the keys 107 network.com i am your co-host rafika and i am brother james and we thank you so very much may god bless you to have love, peace, and happiness in your life. And with that... And you, and you are listening to the sounds of South Africa's bouncing joy, Ernie J. Smith. And Ernie has a new album out, and we'll be premiering some of those songs in the upcoming weeks. Good night. Peace. Jane.